0: Get full access to RFR only on Patreon. Become a member of the RFR Patreon community to get more Rebel Force Radio. Bonus shows and content are available right now only at patreon.com slash Radio. From Topps comes the all-new digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. For the first time ever, collect and trade everything from legendary 1977 Star Wars cards to new cards featuring exclusive content, all from the comfort of your mobile device. Star Wars Card Trader. These are the cards you're looking for.
3: Oh, if you're looking for Last Jedi news, this is the place. This is the place. Courtesy of Entertainment Weekly's forthcoming issue. As a matter of fact, as this show gets published to you all, uh, it should be on newsstands as we speak. Cover story, Star Wars, The Last Jedi. Two different versions. You can get uh, Rey... Where you can get old man Luke and i 'm loving that actually both loving both covers, uh, but you know there 's just something I saw this cover of 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 Luke on the cover here of entertainment weekly and he's he 's uh, uh wearing the uh, traditional jedi hood, and you can he's, his face is kind of cast in shadow, and you see the highlights of his beard and you know, the uh, the story, The Last Jedi, question mark. And it, every once in a while, I have one of those moments where I can't believe what I'm looking at. And <laughs> I can't believe I'm looking at a picture of a 60-some-year-old Mark Hamill reprising his role as Luke Skywalker. And I know we saw it in, in, in uh, The Force Awakens, but it was a very, very short, very brief moment. You might even call it a cameo more than anything. Yeah. In the Force And so so to see this is just incredible. So, um, lots of stories uh, from the Entertainment Weekly uh, issue that we'll be covering, plus uh, some rather surprising news, uh, perhaps with Disney announcing that they're going to be pulling out of the uh, the uh, streaming services like Netflix and Hulu, etc., for their own. We've got that coming up, and uh, some of your uh, your feedback, your. Uh, Uh, voicemails emails all kinds of great things happening here rebel force radio august 11th 2017 summer's uh these are the dog days of summer i think we're winding down we're getting close to the fall even closer to force friday september 1st i've already taken the day off already done it in fact (laughs) it's going to be a family affair kids Taking them out of school, the wife's even taken off work. I think it's to, oh I think it's just to you know uh, uh, patrol me and keep me in be you know keep me in line for uh, you know I don't spend too much money that day, um, but uh, no, it's gonna be it's gonna be good time. So anyway, glad you could be with us. Grateful to be with you. Grateful to be with my good friend and yours from Chicago, Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. Wow, well, yeah, Jason,
0: the dog days of Star Wars summer. Here we are thinking we're just going to coast through the rest of the month, enjoy summertime on the front porch with lemonade. Just two pals talking about the wars. And we get... The Bresnikan bomb dropped on us. Incredible coverage from Entertainment Weekly this week, giving us our first real taste, uh, in the magazine at least, of uh, The the Last Jedi. And uh, this has become a a regular thing with Entertainment Weekly. We can always count on them for uh, breaking some incredible star Wars, uh, info about upcoming films and photography. And yeah, Jason, that cover shot of Mark as, uh, Luke Skywalker, the last Jedi, he's got such an intensity in his eyes that mm-hmm. I've never seen from the character of Luke Skywalker or even the, the actor, Mark Hamill. There's just something dark about the look that he's giving it. it it's, it's, it's all knowing but yet there's an intensity about it yeah. that I've never seen come from the character of Luke and of course then the the alternate cover of Ray Daisy Ridley looking amazing I really love the wardrobe they have uh, chosen for Ray in this film oh, of course very similar to what she wore in, in the Force Awakens but I I, I like the color choices a little more bold, uh, not so uh, sandy.
3: Yeah, well, she's kind of stepping out. You know, I think Star Wars, you know, obviously communicates uh, visually, and the wardrobe communicates, and she's she's um, she's stepping out. Now, what's interesting about this cover is that this is not the typical. Ray, Last Jedi Ray that we're that we're accustomed to seeing now with some of the the uh, logos and artwork being used on the merchandise. This is three bun Ray, three bun Ray. This How can you tell that? Ray. I only I can only see one bun. Well, because because there's three bun Ray and then there's Last Jedi, which is kind of like mullet Ray. Yes, we've seen the mullet Ray, mullet Ray, and this is clearly not mullet Ray. So this is three bun Ray. So this is. This is likely what um she's looking like at the uh, end of force awakens and it, what we'll see her as uh in the beginning of of uh of uh, last jedi. something that I w- was wondering too is that and we're going to break down these articles got about seven of these that we'll be uh discussing from entertainment weekly uh but one of the things I was thinking about is how much time might elapse there on ooc um because there is definitely a uh, evolution of Ray's look she changes her hairstyle she gets a slightly different wardrobe um and based on what we're reading in the pages of entertainment weekly um it's not a quick sell Luke Skywalker is not easy he's not a an easy um easy guy to bring back into the fold there's some reluctance there quite vehement reluctance um so it it does make you wonder how long She's there. Um, you know, if Chewie's having to build campfires outside the Millennium Falcon and palling around with penguins, I mean, it's going to take some time. Well, yeah. I mean,
0: how much time elapsed when Luke was training under Yoda on Dagobah? I don't think that's ever really been determined. I always imagine it took quite a while because the Falcon was traveling without its hyperdrive. So it was just hurling through space to get to the Bespin system. Yeah. So I assumed it would take them quite a while to do that. I always felt it was weeks to months, weeks to months, maybe yeah. a month. I always felt like a month sounded about right to me. You know, physics be damned about uh, flying through space and parsecs uh, are they uh, a measure of time or speed? Who cares? Distance, but let's just, <laughs> I, or distance. You know, it, I always thought it was a considerable amount of time that Luke was on the, the planet training. Yeah. So let's just say a month. A month uh-huh. sounds fair. And uh, so maybe we can assume that is there with Luke a similar amount of time. Um, there are things that get echoed from Empire Strikes Back.
3: Oh, interesting the that you second, bring that up.
0: Yes. The second episode of the original trilogy, and this is the second episode of the sequel trilogy, where you have their similar things. Yeah. You know, uh, a... a, a, a Someone being trained under the tutelage of a Jedi in exile. Um, with you, bring up the Falcon traveling to yep. Cloud City. Cloud City, uh, Canto Bite, mm-hmm. from what I understand, is supposed to be a casino planet.
3: Hey, can I throw a little? I got to throw a little plug in here. By the way, Canto Bite is uh, is a city in Cantonica. Cantonica. Cantonica, oh, uh, which I, I I'm in Canton. And so I think that, uh, you know, I'd like to think that maybe I had a little something to do with that. You know, let's well, throw a little love to, the, to Canton, Ohio, with a little Cantonica.
0: Well, it's funny, you know, I was actually thinking more I mean, along the lines of um, Adam Sandler. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, bear with me here, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, this is unrehearsed, and I did not write anything down, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in the uh, Rebel Force Radio auditorium right now Mm. and I want everyone to just picture uh Adam Sandler and uh pretend he's me I could you know actually use his money and uh I have a guitar and of course when I heard Katonica I thought of play your harmonica (laughs) it's time to travel to Katonica (laughs) With your mamaca, let's go to Katonica. There is a place called Canto Bight, where the First Order and the Resistance fight. It's on a planet called Katonica, where I like to go to celebrate Tanika
3: It's Katonica, Kanaka, Katonica, Kanaka. That's fantastic! Oh, that's great! That's is it? it, it. Is yeah. it really? He's I now, don't want any. That was no, but I thought you were going to rhyme it with Jedi Knight. Jedi Knight. Well, there. Uh, but the,
0: the, the, the Jedi bite. need to end. The Jedi need, the to, Jedi end. need See, to end. See, I am end. so on board with right. this movie <laughs> that I, I don't even. I'm uh, abolishing even including the lyric Jedi Knight. But I, you know, listen. I want to apologize to our listeners. I want to apologize to Adam Sandler, and I want to apologize to the. Denizens of Katonica. Um, <laughs> I, I don't bite. Hey, it put Adam Sandler on the map. Maybe I can uh, work off some of that mojo. But.
3: I, I guess we haven't heard canto bite, uh pronounced, but it's a B-I-G-H-T. It's I can't. Th- it can't be bigot. It can't be uh, anything other than bite, right? But Star Wars tends to be very phonetic. Right in the way that it's that it's spelled, it it it, it is pronounced the way it's spelled in Star Wars. Um, Typically, so, yeah. So I every time I come across Canto Bite, I kind of stumble. I'm I am still struggling with that as a Star Wars locale name. Canto Bites. Canto Bite. I, I always want to say Bright. Yeah, I, mean, I want to say Canto you know. Bright. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, but me, I mean, you no. Know, pretty
0: typical of. Uh, Star Wars locales. I, I think we'll just eventually get used to it. I think oh, sure. We, we, really fast, we'll get used to it. Sure. Um, Canto Bites. But, uh, you know, um, I'd like to hear what, you know, people think about that name. So if you're actually still listening to the show after I perform that song, send us an email, show at RebelForcerAdio.com. I mean, do you, do you like the name Canto Bight? Um I, I, I'm rolling with it. I, I think I like it. Cantonica. I like Cantonica.
3: Yeah. I yeah, dig that of the Canton. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I think I like that. I'm easy. Um, hey, you know what? Uh, speaking of emails, we got an email here from uh, William Malay. William's been with us, a uh, faithful listener for a long time. And he wrote us. He said, uh, hey, Jason and Jimmy, I really can't say enough good things about the show last week. A cool point of conversation was earlier in the show. You guys were talking about how GL somewhat had a loose plan for the entire original trilogy. Take a listen to a short snippet from the Oprah interview where he talks around that idea, how he was going to make the other two movies, regardless, even if he had to, quote, sell lemonade to do it. (laughs) Well, he would do anything other than be an autograph hound. We know that. That's for sure. Lemonade stand. That's a real job. Autograph seller on eBay. Not real job. Good job. All right, so you here's know, last,
0: last time I was at Skywalker Ranch. I actually uh, I had lunch there and I had
3: lemonade. So well, uh, no kidding. Yeah. Well, Prop, props to George. I guess after all these years, he is selling lemonade. <laughs> uh, all right. So this is William La. He uh, points us in the direction of this uh, George Lucas interview. This goes back a few years. Uh, the notorious GL sitting down with the uh, notorious OW. The thing about Star Wars was. It originally was one movie. It was
1: a movie that got to be too big to be one movie. Mm-hmm. I didn't have enough money to make that movie. So I said, well, I will take the first act and I will scrunch this down and I'll make this the movie, but I'm going to finish these other two movies no matter what. This is, this is what I read. I read that rather than take a higher director's fee for Star Wars, that you got $150,000, and rather than take a higher director's fee, that you negotiated merchandising rights how'd that work out for you well the 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 thing was that i was working from a point of view that everything i did failed everything i did the studios hated and i would i was always under the thumb of the studios and they would always take my movie and recut it and say we're going to make this into a tv show we're going to do this and the only way i could write it and direct it What's to say, I will go back and finish those two other two movies and make this complete. I will not let this just die right here. I have to complete the whole three movies. But in order to do that, I just said, look, this is what we're going to do. I'm not going to ask for a million dollars. What I want is, I wanted the sequel rights. And I wanted the sequel rights. Because what normally happens on a movie... Because you knew you were doing those other things. I knew I was doing those movies. Uh-huh. I was going to do them regardless of whether Fox wanted to do them. If it lost $20 million, no matter what, I'm going to do those movies. Because that was my determination. No matter how I was going to do it, I was going to do those movies. So I said, if I give them the rights, most likely they will do what everybody does. Which is say, we own the rights. We don't want you to make that movie. We don't want anybody else to make the movie because it will make us look stupid if it's a success. Right. So they would hang it up and I would never get to make the movie. So I said, I am going to get those rights so I can take that movie one way or another even if I have to go out and sell Lemonade to pay for it, (laughs) I will make those movies. So that's why I got the sequel rights. Wow. It was purely defensive.
3: All right, there you go. George said he was going to make the other two movies even if he had to sell Lemonade to do it. Um, Now, I don't dispute the fact that George had this big movie in his mind. We know that that's been the story that he's told for many, many years. Um, Now, one of the questions has been, well, how many movies did he chunk out of that movie? Because once upon a time, he had a story that included some backstory on these characters. So is he talking about that? Because he's also said in other interviews that he had this big long movie and he decided to make the middle part first because that was the most exciting part. Hmm. Now he's saying, well, I'm taking, I'm taking the first part. I'm going to make the other two. Um, So it was always, it, it kind of created the myth that, the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy were that one big story that he was talking about. It just depends. I I absolutely think that he had aspects of both um, in his mind. We know, you know, based on looking at, you know, the previous, uh, the history of the screenplays where he probably was the most thought out. And as we covered last week, uh, there were things that evolved the Vader character evolved, became the father rather than there being a quest for another father character um and we also have you know i think on you know pretty well surmised that the Leia as the sister was something that Jim, in listening back to the show, I think you made the point that it was that was maybe more about wrapping this up than than anything not leaving all the loose ends yoda says there's another well george knows we're not making another three movies to figure out who that other is we're going to make it leia and call it a day
0: and another uh, th- that's all very good stuff um when you consider the existing saga as it was being developed following the release of the original film in 1977 but keep in mind that george did have a plan b the Lemonade Stand Plan, I believe he called it. <laughs> and it's also known by another name, Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Yeah, Split, yeah. Splinter right. of the Mind's Eye. That was, was his co- lemonade plan. That was his lemonade stand plan. Yeah. Splinter of the Mind's Eye was commissioned by George Lucas. He hired Alan Dean Foster, the same guy who uh, wrote the novelization Um He's a force for, ghost for writer. George. Yes. Yes. <laughs> a force ghost writer of the original novelization. Well, George also commissioned him to write a second novel, Splinter of the Mind's Eye. That could work. And this is by George's directive. He wanted it to work as a low budget sequel, perhaps even maybe as a TV film. if he would be able to continue with his franchise. I think George was very influenced by the serials of the Flash Gordon era, where he wanted it to be chapters, and he wanted one to come after another. And perhaps the grand mythology of Luke's father and um, Balance to the Force and all the other things you can throw at Star Wars that happened in the years after the success of the initial film, perhaps he was fine with throwing that all away and just continuing on with concepts and ideas that were developed in the original film. And that's how Splinter of the Mind's Eye came about. It was to be a story that George could tap into for a low-budget sequel to Star Wars if the first film didn't do that well or just did well enough So that Fox would say, okay, you can do a little low-budget sequel or make it a TV movie of the week. So he hired Foster. And that was—I mean, Alan Dean Foster has spoke about this many times. And the reason that he based all the action of Splinter the Mind's Eye on uh, the um, uh, planet—I forget the name of the planet, Um, but um, it was a, a fog planet. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So I mean, you see the the rationale behind placing all the adventure in a, flo- uh, a foggy at- uh, environment is because then that's cheap to shoot.
3: Sure, you, know? you could do it on you
0: could do it on a soundstage with a fog machine. Exactly. So right, right. So that's why. And, and there's no there's no complex space battles and dogfights and all this stuff. And you notice it if all, you look
3: at the cover of the novel, you don't even see Luke and Leia's face. Because this was, I think, done because he wasn't sure whether or not he would have those actors. The character of Han Solo is not in the book at all. And yes, because Harrison Ford was not
0: under contract for a sequel. Right. But apparently Mark and Carrie were... And uh, by the way, the cover art to Splinter the Mind's Eye is one of my favorite pieces of Ralph McQuarrie Star Wars artwork. It really is. I just love it. It it, it really sets the stage for this exotic, out-of-universe Star Wars story. And I remember seeing it in my school library back in 1977. And just, my jaw hit the floor like there's more Star Wars stories. And it would say, you know, from the adventures of Luke Skywalker. So me and all my friends would go out seeking for this, you know, phantom book the mis- the adventures of Luke Skywalker as if it existed you know right. and then that, right. that kind of got boiled down and turned into uh, the journal of the wills and all that stuff But um,
3: well and this also but, is what gave us the kyber crystal as well
0: that's a good thing to point out yeah. because that's the MacGuffin in the book they're right. chasing a shard of kyber crystal and the crystal is supposed be but the crystal is supposed to give the force user more power with the force you know it, it's it's not something that fueled the lightsaber at the time um i yeah. don't think there was a distinction i think there was a distinction between a kyber crystal and a crystal that would power a lightsaber it i'm not even sure if the Crystal powered lightsaber was part of canon to begin with back then. We're talking 1977,
3: 1978. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't I, can't, I don't, I can't I don't think I don't think there was a connection in in the, in the book between the crystal and and the lightsaber. It was uh, it was uh, something that kind of uh, magnified the power of the Force. That, that I would like to um, the power of the Force. Yes.
0: Yes. I would like to propose um Um, Not a contest. Yeah, I'll send somebody something. If they can point out to me when the first reference was made to a crystal powering a lightsaber, not necessarily a kyber crystal, but when did that first happen? When did we learn that there's a crystal within that lightsaber hilt? Mm -hmm. I remember back in the early days, they used to talk about the weight of the saber blade, and there are some publications that would say it had sort of a gyroscopic effect to it. So it was a little difficult for the user to handle. It was sort of unwieldy. Mm-hmm. And 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 so you would tap into the force to sort of tame the saber is how I always assumed that the Jedi were able to use. That's why only Jedi would use the saber because anyone else couldn't really control it. The The, the gyroscopic effect would be it make it feel like the, the hilt was twisting and turning in your hand, and it would just be too hard for you to control. But if you could tame the saber by tapping into the Force like the Jedi do, then they can use it with ease. That's why you hmm. only see Jedi using sabers. But again, that's being, that's, being, that's evolving that whole concept of... You, you know We've seen so many non-Jedi, non-Force users use a saber now that uh, that kind of goes out the window a little bit. But I'm putting myself back into the uh, old times. And uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye, you know, was one of our first expansions of the Star Wars story. And it was created so George could continue the saga. But he wanted to be able to tell a story on the cheap. And uh, that's what Splinter of the Mind's Eye is infamous
3: for. Yeah, I also, you know, and, and maybe... George has even come out and said this, but uh, you know, there's a. I think there's a myth that George thinks in trilogies. That this was all about a trilogy, and, and I don't believe it was. You know, Jim, you you mentioned about how influenced George uh, has been by the uh, you know the, the the medium of the of the film serial, and I think that he believed at that time. Yes, he might have had. Three different stories mapped out, or the big movie that he was talking to Oprah about, he felt could be chopped into three, but I don't think that was a magic number. I think that he was looking at continuing. Like, uh, we know that, you know, the James Bond series was an influence on George Serials as well, um, where he thought, hey, this is something I could just keep doing. I could keep building and building onto this, this, uh, this universe. But again, as we covered last week, he got, you know, it took a, a decade of his life to do just three of these, and I think he quickly realized that, you know, he was going to wrap it up and and move on and 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 maybe revisit them at another time. Then when he got around to doing the prequels, you know, George loves to do things sort of with that that rhyme, uh, you know, uh, how th- there's there's a certain symmetry. So he thought, well, I did these this trilogy that it became the Star Wars trilogy that was became a thing. Um, so I'm going to do this prequel might as well do it as a, as a trilogy, but I don't think that number, I don't think that three was ever a magic number. Well, it's hard to say though, because when, uh,
0: empire strikes back came out, it was revealed to us that that was episode five. And then we learned that a new hope was episode four. So we knew there was the existing three prior and he was working on three at the time. And then, close the door after return of the jedi so you had your three existing films Mm -hmm. original trilogy and we knew that there had to be three more films prequel trilogy and uh that's sort of how uh it all uh, it all played out so uh i think george definitely was thinking in terms of three by maybe not when he created the original film But when he started to deal more with the way the mythology had grown and realized that he had created so much backstory for the characters that he could put three more films into production very easily. And that was sort of an ace in the hole for him, um, where he was conditioning all of his fans to expect something to happen Before the original films, yeah, and we sat in expectation and waited and waited and waited, and and finally got rewarded in the late nineties.
3: Well, it was all about you know making people believe that there was this universe was fully populated with all kinds of uh, creatures, characters, events, situations, and history, and that's one of the things that just made Star Wars unique from the beginning. It was. We're not telling you a story from chapter one. We're plopping you right. in the middle of all of this excitement. We're going to drop you in the action. middle of the action. But my big question is, if
0: this whole broad saga was already predetermined by the time the original film came out in 1977, then why did Splinter of the Mind's Eye end up being completely devoid of any references to that overall mythology when that stuff could be expanded via mere dialogue.
3: Yeah, it's a good question. I've wondered that too um, because if if he was looking at that as an alternative, if should the movie not be successful, um, why was it sort of an abandonment of that mythology that would later unfold with uh, Empire in Jedi? And it, and it pretty much is. Um, I wonder if it was just a matter of him having something uh, fairly quick to grab onto, to get something else out there and look at the medium of television as perhaps the, the home for Star Wars, and he would eventually get to some of those ideas down the line. Again, I, I have this theory that he was never looking at this as you know a finite number of films. I think he was looking at this like... Buck Rogers serials where it could just go on and on and on. Yes. While there was still interest.
0: I agree with that. But he also was afraid to give up any sort of creative control there at the end and decided he was just going to pack up and. Yeah leave the playing field for a little while. But what a great topic of conversation. Thank you so much, William Millay, uh, loyal RFR listener. We've been hearing from Will for years and years, and uh, he's very passionate about Star Wars and always has really cool things to share with us. So thanks for sharing that uh, clip from that uh, incredible Oprah interview, which I, I really would like to go back and sort of revisit a little, yeah. because you were hearing some very candid George Lucas when he was really at the end of of what i think uh his most productive time creating star wars and i think he was really starting to look toward the future toward retirement and that interview was the first real hints we were getting uh concerning george uh maybe leaving star wars behind and and looking back on his career in such a way where he had a an interesting retrospective uh Uh, take on things and uh so that's worth checking out the oprah interview if we can jason i know we have all this entertainment weekly stuff the bresnik and bomb that was dropped on us but can we do one random voicemail before we get into it all
3: let's do it here's rich from louisville louisville hey guys this is rich
1: from louisville um i'm sitting and listening to you all play clips from ryan johnson talking about how he's not looking to change star wars uh, and he's aware that George Lucas had set it up to hit certain beats. Uh, what if, in this episode coming up, we really find out who Snoke really is, and he does a callback to Empire Strikes Back, and Snoke reveals that he is Ray's father? What do you think about that? Let's hear your opinions. Thanks, guys.
0: Hmm. All right. Well, that's a pretty wild Snoke theory right there, and, and one i got to be honest with you, I never even considered it. Not for a second.
3: No, I never considered it either. Um, you know, Snoke is, uh, to me, uh, I think pretty, pretty old. I think we're, maybe I'm just assuming that, and there's nothing to base it on, but you know, given the way he looks in the hologram, given the way he looks in some of these, um, production photos that we're seeing, I think it's safe to say this guy has been around for a while. um, Hey Charlie Chaplin had babies in his 80s. I know that. So, you know, you who can who can say? Um but could she be related to Snoke? Could there be a connection there possibly? Um he uh he does seem interested in Rey. That's for sure. Um but I've always thought that he seemed interested in Rey from the standpoint of he didn't want Rey out there Digging up Luke Skywalker. You know, Snoke wanted Luke Skywalker buried in the ash heap of history. What would indicate to Snoke
0: that Rey would be a threat to him as far as discovering Skywalker first? How would he have that sort of insight from just
3: some random girl who grew up on a junkyard planet? Well, he says there's been an awakening. Have you felt it? And he, I believe that Snoke knows that Luke Skywalker is still out there. Yes. And if he felt the awakening, if Kylo felt the awakening, then he knows Luke Skywalker felt the awakening. So maybe his concern is that this, you know, was going to reanimate Luke, that Luke would then come out of hiding because of you know this um, disturbance, this feeling uh, in the Force. Really. I always assumed that Snoke believed that that was Luke
0: Skywalker tapping back into the Force, thus proclaiming his eventual return. And that's what Snoke had determined from his Force meditations or visions or whatever he was getting his information from. Something to go back on, though, is Snoke's age. I think it's difficult to determine his actual age because we know that force users who tap into the dark side degenerate physically. We've seen countless examples of this over time, scarred and deformed. But yeah, <laughs> so sure he he ate his own force lightning. Yeah. Palpatine yeah. did. So we have an obvious reason why he looks the way he does. But there's there's something going on there. I mean, look at, uh, you know, I mean, Anakin, he fell into the lava pit and came out looking. He was scarred and deformed and, and, and presumably looked, once those scars, once the burns healed and, and became scar tissue and covered him and he was pasty and white, he, I mean, he looked way older than his mid-40s. Well, you know, the only nice the looking Sith we ever had was uh, Dooku. Dooku kept it all together. He did. But but I mean look what <laughs> he happened. He did. ended up losing his hands his and his head. head. Yeah. So yeah, right. yeah, you know, there was there was no uh <laughs> there was there was no you know, and, and Lucas used to say that Palpatine when when he had that force lightning bounce back on him and it left him scarred and deformed, that we were actually seeing his real face, his his real yeah. Sith visage came to the fore. Yep. And and it was the force lightning that actually brought that. But that was always within him. So right. it's Palpatine
3: like- was the mask.
0: Yes. Yeah. And it's like the dark side eats you from within mm-hmm. and eventually exposes itself physically. And we, we look at Snoke and we see examples of that. We also see that he, he, he looks like he's been through some serious stuff, like a bomb blew up in his lap. You know, I mean, he looks sure. like he's been through. How I always assume that Snoke's deformities came at the hands of Luke Skywalker. I'd like to think that, and I think maybe that'll be eventually proven to us, mm. but the idea that snow could be Ray's father I gotta why was I closed off to that concept that idea? maybe I haven't been listening to too many theories about who Snoke is and where he came from and what his place is in the grand scheme of things. But for some weird reason, I never made a connection between him and Ray. And I like what I'm hearing from this voicemail. Mm. This mere idea tantalizes me when I think about the direction that the series can go in. And again, it brings in that whole ring theory thing again, the repetition of themes presented in prior trilogies, resurfacing. "Ray, I am your father." Yeah. I mean, maybe it just doesn't roll, you know, like that. I, maybe the reveal will be different to her. Maybe it won't be Snoke actually telling her. Maybe she'll find out, or maybe it won't be in
3: place at all. But I dig the theory. I dig the theory. Yeah, I think there's going to be an I Am Your Father moment. I think that uh, Last Jedi is going to line up with Empire Strikes Back in terms of the the big moments and and the beats, as people call it. Um, And we've got some quotes by Ryan Johnson that would indicate that, yes, that is true, despite previous comments that he's made. So we're going to get all to that right now as we uh, uncover The Last Jedi. But before we do that... A word from our friends at T.O.P.S. You know it, you love it. From Tops comes
0: the digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. Yes, collect and trade officially licensed Star Wars digital cards. All of your favorite characters, vehicles, and locations from the Star Wars universe are here, including replicas of those amazing and iconic original 1977 Top Star Wars trading cards to futuristic all-new cards with exciting digital twists. Download it today in the App Store or in Google Play, and of course, we're using the Star Wars Star Wars card Trader app here at Rebel Force Radio. You can always trade with us here 24-7, 365 days a year. Just search username Rebel Force Radio and do it all from the comfort of your mobile device. It's the Topps Star Wars card Trader app. These are the cards you're looking for.
1: I have good news for you, my lord. That's good news. Come closer, I have good news.
3: All right, as we said at the top of the show, who is The Last Jedi? Entertainment Weekly's cover story of uh, The Force Awakens and their fall movie preview on newsstands right now. And the lead story that was uh, put out online as a uh, preview. Can Ray save Luke Skywalker from himself in The Last Jedi? So what are some of the reveals that we hear uh, in this now, for this, uh, we've we, uh, Anthony Bresikin spoke with both Daisy Ridley and Mark Hamill, and uh, one of the things, Jim, right off the bat, uh, that they get out of the way is what is the tone, what is the tenor of the relationship between Luke and Ray? Follow immediately following the events of the Force Awakens, we see her with her outstretched hand, you know, giving uh, offering Luke the lightsaber. And according to this story, uh, Luke definitely does not give Ray the warm welcome he received. do a expect warm welcome. What he received when he went in search of Alec Guinness's Ben Kenobi in 1977's original Star Wars, she is warned. She is given an explanation. Nevertheless, this rejection hits Ray's abandonment issues hard. So um, right off the bat, we learned that Before you even see the movie, if you're expecting Luke to grab that lightsaber and hold it up to the heavens and vow his allegiance to restore peace and justice to the galaxy, uh, go see something else because it ain't happening here.
0: You know, it's really interesting how we can take a lot of that expression that was on Luke's face there at the end of The Force Awakens and jump to a conclusion about what was going on in his head at that time. I see someone who is reluctant. I see someone who feels like he was caught in sort of a gotcha moment. I see someone who is puzzled and confused. And I see someone who is sad. Those are the four things I really think I see from the expression on Luke's face when Ray presents him with that saber. So I would imagine there would be some reluctance on his part. He is exiled by his own decision. Mm. So why does he want someone rocking the boat? Something that Bresnikin revealed on his uh, Sirius XM show. I don't know if you know this, Jason, but uh, Entertainment, Entertainment Weekly has a radio station and it's on Sirius XM channel 105.
3: I did not know that.
0: And uh, Bresnikin has a show, and uh, he, uh I, I, he did a whole feature on uh, The Last Jedi and this cover story earlier this week. Uh, the show was called Behind the Scenes with Anthony Bresnikin, aptly uh, titled. And in that special episode he did earlier this week, he revealed something I didn't know about. The way they shot that final sequence there on Octu for The Force Awakens. What's funny is, and we actually actually didn't end up putting this in the story, so
2: this is a little bit of bonus information, oh, hey. is uh, Mark Hamill said when he shot that for J.J. Abrams, they did like a, a whole ton of variations. He gave him every emotion from joy to <laughs> anger to like... Wow. Uh, yeah, I guess what anything in between like right. but he he gave him a lot to work with so there was a scene where Luke Skywalker I guess laughs his ass off about <laughs> seeing his old lightsaber again. Okay. There's another one where he's sort of furious. Wow. And I wonder was that for I mean I do they don't focus test these movies, right? I don't think it was the yeah. folk. I, I don't think they screened The Force Awakens very much at all, but sure, like right. I think it was more let's just if you're in the room and you're editing it, like, what does it look like if he's a little happier? What does it look yeah. like if he's a little sad? I don't think he was actually like laughing or cackling, sure, but right, there yeah. might have been one where he was a little more overtly happy to see her mm-hmm. or happy mm-hmm. to be found. But with this film. But still, a laugh can
0: be interpreted a lot of ways. Too. <laughs> sure. He can yeah, be crazy. it's crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Apparently, Mark Hamill provided several different takes for J.J. Abrams and his editing crew to choose from. And. Those different takes contained reactions featuring different emotions. Hmm. The sequence was shot several times with different emotions coming from the character of Luke Skywalker to give the filmmakers
3: options
0: as to how they wanted to leave it open for The Last Jedi. Now
3: going back and to what we Inter- talked Inter- about last week where it wasn't
0: mapped out. No. And so that's why they had the choices to make in the editing suite that really determined the entire flavor of the new film and the direction the sequel trilogy would go in. And it could have been something as simple as just choosing a take Ugh. of how Luke Skywalker reacts to Ray presenting him with that long, last, long lost Skywalker family lightsaber. I mean, imagine if he was just like, (laughs) and then it cuts the credits. Or if it was just like, he just looked at her and and like looked really mean, like like had an intense look in his face, like, oh, man, you don't want to know what's coming next. Cut the credits. I I
3: am surprised because what I feel, I mean, that makes sense if they wanted to go in a specific direction. What I think Mark did there was he gave a look that you could read a lot into depending on what you sort of wanted to see happen. Um, You could see it as a very knowing I'm accepting my destiny. Uh, it, It continues to follow me around wherever I go. Um, you could see it as uh, a rejection because he just kind of stands there and looks at her. So you could read into it what you want. Um, So I I feel as though, you know, or at least my thought was that that's the way that he would have been as an actor coached. Give me something that is interesting, but could be taken in a multitude of ways. Mm -hmm. But to your point, They went even further than that and actually did more extreme or more uh, um, obvious, perhaps, reactions to the lightsaber to give them those options. Give them lots of options. Um, So Director Ryan Johnson, you know, getting back to this issue of, you know, luke and, and and why and why is he there and what's he going through uh johnson said that the very first step in the writing of the movie was figuring out why he's on this island now this next part gives me some hope he says we know that he is not a coward that's good uh he's not just hiding because he's scared but we also know that he must know his friends are in danger he must know the galaxy needs him and he's sitting on this island in the middle of nowhere There had to be an answer. It had to be something where Luke Skywalker believes he's doing the right thing, in the process of figuring out what that is and unpacking it. That's the journey of Ray. So there's where you see where they're connected. So by Ray, sort of deconstructing what happened to Luke Skywalker, you know that he's going to be able to, you know, perhaps work out these issues.
0: Well, I think you know between the two of them, they'll they'll find that there's more in common (laughs) they have more in common than not I mean let's face it Uh, force sensitive abandoned his children Um, Ray much more so than Luke at least Luke was left with an aunt and uncle right right you know someone who resembled family to him right but But they treated him like he was a burden, and and he, you know, was he was always the sort of oddball on Tatooine. Yeah, Owen
3: always looked at him like he owed him money.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right, or something. You know, just hard labor. Uh, The guy just wanted nothing but hard labor. But you know, hey, that's life on a farm, you know. And um, and uh, Ray again left on her own. Uh, They're both from sandy planets, but there are very there there are similarities. In in their and of course we've talked about all the similarities between the Force Awakens and A New Hope on certain beats and archetypes and whatnot, but I think it's going to be interesting to watch the two characters come together and realize that despite the fact that they're total strangers, they got a lot in common.
3: Yeah, for sure. And you know, something that Daisy Ridley points out is that you know she she's been through quite a bit, right? I mean, she's she was abandoned as you as you mentioned. Um, She finally meets up with somebody that she kind of looks at as a as a quasi father figure. She knows him for a hot second and he gets killed um, by this uh, psycho that wants to kidnap her. And uh, finally, you know, you know, Maz Kanata tells her about the fact that her what she has been seeking is not in her past, but in her future uh, that leads to Luke Skywalker. She takes the thousand steps. She gets up there, and now she's just got another grumpy old guy that doesn't want her around. And yeah. and and so, you know, she's she's she's. You can imagine, you know, the steps being sort of a metaphor in a way of her building up all of these expectations with each step as she climbs closer to her destiny, Luke Skywalker, the hero of uh the ages and she gets to him and we find out that he essentially rejects her um that that's that's a serious bitter pill to swallow she's got to be thinking where well where do i go from here mm-hmm. what's right. my future
0: abandonment issues coming to the fore yeah um and uh she's searching for something and when she finds Luke, I don't think she gets what she expected. Uh, the reluctance that he's going to reveal is going to be challenging for her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, very interesting and to that, see how that's all going to play out.
3: And we'll get to the to uh, the uh, some of the other articles, but you know, this theme of be careful when you meet your heroes. It's also, according to um, what we read in Entertainment Weekly, it's also being reflected in the relationship between Finn and Rose. Right, that we right. we we find out that Rose is very starstruck with Finn. They go off on an adventure together, and uh, you know Finn is is thinking about you know he's he's kind of like the, the way we saw Han at the end of A New Hope, where it's like okay, I came in, I did my thing, but now I'm getting the heck out of here. Right? And he's always kind of the guy that's uh, not fully committed, doesn't have both feet there. Um, but 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 Rose apparently is the one that sort of sees the potential in Finn, in, in, in such a way that he eventually sees it for himself. Now, you talked about the Bresnikan bomb. I got a bomb for you. Maybe. Maybe. Oh, boy. It's a little bit of a thrown-away quote here, but uh, Mark Hamill is uh, being quoted as talking about, you know, what is Luke's mindset while he's there on this, um, you know, who sort of marooned himself at this last, or excuse me, the first Jedi Temple. He says that uh, Luke has begun to doubt his own connection to the Force, wondering if he has been misreading it all this time. Sound familiar? Uh-huh. Luke made a huge... Mi- this is Mark Hamill speaking. Luke made a huge mistake in thinking that his nephew was the Chosen One. Hmm. So he invested everything he had in Kylo, much like Obi-Wan did with my character. And he has betrayed with tragic consequences. The chosen one. Now, I'm just mm. going to pose this to you, Jim. Got one of two options here. Does he mean chosen one with a capital C and a capital <laughs> O like the, the chosen one of the of the the prophecy? Yeah. misread could have been right. or. Is that Mark Hamill just kind of, you know, the chosen one is is a phrase that we use. You know, you can say, uh, you know, the the guy or the girl at work that always kind of gets the thumbs up from the boss. You know, uh, she's the chosen one around here. Did Luke mean or Luke did Mark mean that as sort of just a, uh, a, a a metaphor, a figure of speech? Or is there something deeper to that?
0: I think that this comes into play in the story of the last Jedi. I believe that we will hear Luke Skywalker talking about his regrets in trying to resurrect the Jedi order. The Jedi order was flawed as we saw it in the prequels, clearly flawed. And I believe that the Luke Skywalker of the last Jedi realizes this. but I don't think, In the events that happened between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens, I think during that time period, Luke was really trying to extend the Jedi Order. He was trying to continue it. And he lost faith in the fact that there was a prophecy that may have indicated his father was the chosen one. Even though I still do consider Anakin Skywalker to be the Chosen One, as we know the story right now, I think that's an idea that could have been rejected by Luke. Hmm. However, Luke was still aware of the prophecy of the Chosen One. Luke also rejected the notion that he himself could be the Chosen One. But then when he meets the son of Han and Leia, And realizes the force potential within him as a direct descendant of Anakin Skywalker. Born of the virgin birth, the the virgins of midi-chlorians. Perhaps he, he thinks, again, reiterating what Yoda said about the prophecy being misread. Perhaps Luke takes it a step further and determines the prophecy was indeed misread. But yet... Everything points at Kylo Ren, or I should say Ben Solo, as being the chosen one. But once again, the prophecy gets misread, thus keeping the door open for yet another chosen one to emerge. Could it be Rey? Or could we just see the prophecy being revealed as just like, it's it's bunk, it's garbage, it's... It's the prophecy is flawed in itself. There is no way to decipher it because it's not happening. I don't know. I mean, you know, these are directions I think that the story can go in. And hearing Mark Hamill say in a casual interview, uh, revealing this sort of information about Luke Skywalker and his motivations following Return of the Jedi. I think this says a lot, and I am taking this on face value as something that we will soon become comfortable with as being canon. What what Mark says about his character, Luke, yeah. considering his nephew is the chosen one, discounting things that the flawed Jedi Knights had determined. And Obi-Wan Kenobi, it's revealed in Star Wars Rebels. Obi-Wan believes the prophecy was misread and considers Luke to be the chosen one. Right. Right. But Luke himself does not consider either interpretations of the prophecy, Anakin or himself. He's looking at his nephew. That's the chosen one. Must be the chosen one. Eh, wrong again. Or is he? Or is he? Could, is? Kylo, could Kylo Ren be redeemed? and reclaim the name of ben solo and claim his place as the chosen one by the end of the sequel trilogy
3: or does the force always look to bring itself in balance and is the the balance of the force um
0: Fleshly. some
3: someone yes and 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 someone who Im, it can embody the light and the dark find that balance um and with luke being quote unquote the last jedi is the chosen one, in this case, Ben Solo, Kylo Ren, the one that's going to take Luke out and thus perhaps bring balance. That
0: oh, one. mind blown. Mind blown.
3: So does the Force continu- continuously produce cho- the chosen one that will bring balance and has no one at, you know adequately done it?
0: That's a lot to chew on. That is a lot to chew on. Yeah. I think a lot of we'll these see. these questions will be answered in The Last Jedi.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, I find it really interesting to know uh, that the concept of the Chosen One, which was not brought up at all in The Force Awakens, but here it is making its return in The Last Jedi, presumably by the comments made by Mark Hamill. So we see a thread picked up from the prequel era That could be expanded upon in the sequel era, Uh despite the fact that we've been led to believe that Lucasfilm doesn't necessarily want to provide so much fan service toward the prequel era, despite the fact that there are many, many prequel fans, but they don't outweigh the general fans of Star Wars, I think. I think a lot of people are thinking about Star Wars in a forward progression from this point on. Not so much looking toward the past, and Bresnikin reveals on his Sirius XM show that. Oh, I don't want to say what he said because I, I have that in a clip that I want to play later, so I, I won't reveal that. Okay, all right. But, 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 so the concept of the chosen one mm. apparently is alive and well in the Last
3: Jedi. Yeah, it's returning. It's returning. Um, so let's talk a little bit about. You know, we've talked about sort of Luke's psychology, what's going on in his head. Let's talk about what's going on around him there on ahch We're introduced to two brand new species into the Star Wars universe, the Porgs and the Caretakers. Now, we talked a little bit about the Porgs uh, last week. Uh, The official uh, zoologist for Rebel Force Radio said that they're between a puffin and an owl. It was Deborah Swank, by the way, is Mm -hmm. the official zoologist for RFR. Right. Now, it's revealed that uh, these were um, brought to life through Neil Scanlon's Creature Shop. And they are, it looks like they are CG, though there may be moments when they are uh, practical. It doesn't get into that too terrible much, but they're definitely based on puffins. And Ryan Johnson said that, uh, not just any puffin, but the puffins that actually... Uh, roost and nest there on Skellig Michael at a certain time of the year I think he said the springtime they're all over the place and he says they're adorable and so that was a uh, sort of a a, a, an homage to them there's a great photo in this spread of uh, (laughs) of a puffin that has made it inside the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon and you know Jim when we see that that shot in the uh, in the sizzle reel from uh, uh celebration or not celebration um uh twenty three or d twenty three of course. Yes. Um, you, you see Chewie underneath the the Falcon with that fire roaring, his campfire. I'm I'm wondering if these these are his friends. On are, are they? On, on are they or
0: are they on the spit <laughs> over the
3: <fire? laughs> little rotisserie porg, <laughs> uh, perhaps? But I, I love that this one is kind of sitting there in the cockpit with Chewie. I think that that may be what their their role is is to sort of take care of uh, Chewie, become friends with Chewie while Ray and Luke are sorting things out. Um, but uh, definitely, look, you know, I, the, the, the cynics out there are saying, ah, these are the Ewoks. Ewoks sure. of the sequel yes. trilogy. This is to sell toys. Once again, it's,
0: it's the George Lucas uh, directive. Dare to be cute with Star yeah. Wars. Yeah. Let's dare to be cute. And let's face it, the Porgs are downright adorable, but I imagine there will be some fan backlash to Adorable within the Star Wars universe.
3: If they go around making fart jokes, maybe. Well, you know, I,
0: I reserve my, uh, my opinion until after I see the film on how I really feel about the Porgs. Mm-hmm. Something tells me that the reason they're being included on Octu is just because there's so many puffins there on Skellig Michael flying around in the background. It's... Easy, just to put them in the film, you know, as opposed to picking <laughs> them out porgs. of each thing. <laughs> yeah. Now they're porgs, yeah. and um, and I love the nod to the real world situation there in uh, Ireland, yeah. as far as those those uh, birds being all over the the island. I mean, I just love it because you can really go to Act if if you have the funds and the means and the time, and uh, put yourself in that environment. With these uh birds flying around now obviously these things are going to be on store shelves there's no question about it uh, oh, yeah. they're going to be merchandise uh like crazy and and that 's the way star wars rolls uh, but i don't think unlike um with uh forces of destiny, which was clearly created to tie in with merchandise um i don't think that the the idea of including them in the film is to sell toys i think it's it's there to again, as I say, dare to be cute.
3: Yeah, it's there to be cute, and it's, and it's there to uh, just populate the universe. And, uh, you know, they can't all, they can, they can't all be, uh, you know, hammerheads, right? I mean, they've all, we've got to have some cuteness in there. And um, even in our own world, we're faced with a lot of our furry critters out there are, are cute. We, we find them cute. Now, something not so cute there on Octu are the caretakers. Now, <laughs> porgs leaked. You know, we've known about the porgs for some time. And I will say this I would categorize most of what is revealed in Entertainment Weekly as if you have been allowing yourself to read and listen to spoilers and leaks. Much of what we're reading in the pages of Entertainment Weekly is confirmation of these leaks i've yet to see anything here that has um, been a tremendous surprise the closest thing to a surprise for me are these caretakers now that i didn't realize i actually believed that the porgs were going to be the villagers there on octu that sort of leaked out this idea of these 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 villagers turns out it's the caretakers Mm -hmm. and the caretakers are uh, they are practical, um, but they're well. They're animated with a with a person inside. In fact, according to the piece here, uh, Daisy Ridley had a friend play one of these caretakers. What I find interesting about them, one is their wardrobe. They're very much like they just came out of the uh, the Abbey there in Sound of Music. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, ready, to sing, nun- ready to sing, ready to sing climb every mountain there as yeah. Ray scales the, the 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 steps. Um very uh real world in terms of you know evoking that sort of religious um you know sister nun vibe. Um the other thing we learn from them, or from the piece, according to Ryan Johnson, is that they're all female. And this is sort of a a, a nunnery. And the, the wardrobe was very much you know created to sort of reflect that nun like existence.
0: Mm-hmm. They're, they're wearing the uh, the headwear, uh, the the habit of a yeah. nun.
3: Mm-hmm. But what I thought was most interesting is that they're not wild about Luke. <laughs> they're not all that excited about him being there. They they according to Ryan Johnson they tolerate his presence now. There is some, um, what do we know about Act Two? We know that it's the site of the first Jedi temple. We know that that's a, that's a holy place. We know that um, there's uh, th- these books that we, we, we might assume are the journal of the wills, finally making it into mm-hmm. official canon. Um, and that these caretakers, um, now where have we heard that before, right? Uh, cheer it. Yes, right they were they were the guardians of the wills. Now you have these these caretakers. so if these caretakers are connected t- uh, to the force, are um, in, in some way looking over this Jedi temple, why might they have a problem with Luke, the last Jedi?
0: Ah, it's a, a a commitment to being isolated amongst those of who share the same faith as they do Mm -hmm. and um you know like like you see with the sisters in the convent um they want to do their own thing and then luke comes in and he probably has some pretty uh outlandish and outrageous ideas about the force that he could he could be a radical
3: yeah, he's a total yeah.
0: radical. He doesn't fit in. He's What is he searching for? Maybe they believe they already have it all figured out, and Luke is searching for something beyond them, mm. and that may threaten them. Mm. Why is this guy poking around with our scene? This is our scene, man. And this guy's coming here, and he's
3: trying to shake things up. Maybe they consider him to be a radical. I was wondering, and, you know, if you look at the picture of these two caretakers, do they remind you of any of your uh, teachers there at the... Uh,
0: Oh, it's St. Catherine's. It's yeah. St. Catherine's in Glenview. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, uh, the one on the left is a, a spitting image of Sister Veronica from the fifth grade, and and the other one is uh, like the principal, Sister Sean. Uh, anyone who uh, went to uh, Glenview, Illinois, uh, St. Catherine Laboratory in the seventies, you're going to know who I'm talking about, and I'm probably going to burn in hell for making those references. Thanks a lot, Swank. <laughs> But let's talk about the, the way these, these, these creatures physically look. I'm, I'm noticing a consistency with the type of aliens Neil Scanlon's Creature Shop puts out there. To me, the thing I thought of the first, first time I saw them, I thought, well, gosh, they look kind of like that, that big, huge creature that was uh, in Maz Kanata's palace. Uh, what was his name? Garg? Oh, Gar- gargon or something like that. Yeah, he was sitting yeah. with the girl and everything and he right. looked like a big fat Bosque. Yeah. Um <laughs> yeah. these guys. I mean there's there's just something so similar to I it's just it feels like it's coming from the same place a lot of the creatures that I see coming out of Neil Scanlan's creature department. They have a look, don't they?
3: they there have there's a, a look. look. Yeah. The
0: big the big wide bridge of the nose, a huge nose that sort of blends in with the rest of the face. They say these creatures are fish Bird type aliens, and I don't see fish or bird in them at all when I, I don't mean, look at them. I don't see a beak. I don't see you know the. I wide see like eyes. a lizard.
3: They all have a kind of a lizard look to me.
0: They 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 look like a terrapin, like a tortoise. You know, I mean they <laughs> yeah. they, have, they look more like a turtle to
3: me. Yes, than, yes. Uh, you know, very turtle like. Yeah, yeah. Um, with dresses, but you notice that they're wearing uh, around their neck, or at least this this one um, has. You know, I, I'm I'm assuming some sort of uh, Jedi or 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 Force um, relic or you know symbol or something. I was trying it's to like think a, like, like like a donut. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to think like, did, did we see this with uh, Chirrut or Baze? Is there any uh, history of this as a symbol? Is it is it a Japur snippet? I mean, what is it that she's wearing around her neck? That's a great question. It's, it's not a Kyber crystal. Like, um, like Jin Urso, but I'm just wondering if we've um, if we've seen this before, and how pulling long until the, I can uh, buy one. Pulling out the Rogue One Ultimate Visual Guide,
0: and mm. I'm just gonna poke around here uh, with the uh, Guardians of the Wills, and uh, we'll, we'll come back to this if I okay. find anything that might make that pendant that the um, the fish bird nun is wearing. Um, yeah, I'll let you
3: know. The other thing that I thought was really fascinating is that we don't get a, in Star Wars, we don't get much of a sense of uh, of of ancient history, per se. You know, is it, we certainly know that we're plopped into a universe that has a lot of history. But, you know, you don't think about like uh, prehistoric times in the Star Wars universe. And uh, Ryan Johnson you know, talks about this, this cave on Octu. He says, my notion was this is a place that goes all the way back. This is where the cave paintings are. So kind of interesting that we're kind of seeing, you know, perhaps, you know, Star Wars prehistory. And I know, Jim, you're a big uh, you know, fan of the History Channel and documentaries about ancient True. civilizations and yes. Egyptians and, and all of that. And so, you know, now we're really getting a sense of this. The other thing that I thought of immediately, too, is, um, you know, we've kind of joked on the show over the years about you know, as great of a game and as innovative as it was, you know, Knights of the Old Republic. We we'll yes. always laughed that, you know, this took place 4,000 years before the Battle of uh, of Yavin, yet everything looks exactly the same. You know, <laughs> there's been like no evolution. Um, and, and, you know, here you've got, um, you know, a, a glimpse at, you know, perhaps thousands of years prior to um, the action of the of the Star Wars saga as we know it, you know, the, we, we're, we've got cave paintings here, so I thought that was interesting. Where it kind of um, shrinks in a way, maybe, or or makes it feel more uh, like you can wrap your head around that that you know the Star Wars universe in terms of its history and its in its prehistory by the, by the sense that you're seeing you know artifacts and ruins from that period of time in the galaxy far, far away. And I love the fact that we can go back
0: to ground zero for force users. You know, right. I find that very exciting because we've always looked at the Jedi and just about everything that happens in Star Wars. You know, it's super high tech. It's it's connected with the the galactic. Governments and they're in high rises in Coruscant, if you want to think about the prequel era and and the technology at their fingertips and the droids they had serving them and all of that. And then uh, you think about a primitive time to go back to the beginning where it all started Mm. is going to give us, I think, some new and really interesting perspectives on... Where the force comes from, uh, the, the, the whole idea of the light and the dark, and who, who taps into it, and why they're able to tap into it, and all of those things. Where does it all begin? Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's another thing why the, the caretakers might be nervous about Luke poking around there. Is because, you know, what, what is he looking for? Is he going to try to take the knowledge that they've protected for millennia? and use it for devious well purposes.
3: I, I I'm glad you brought that up because you know we we have very few clues given to us in the Force Awakens about why Luke is doing what he's doing. We have the speech by Han in the Falcon where he says the people who knew him best says say that he went looking for the first Jedi temple. So after we have the betrayal of Ben Solo, Kylo Ren. Luke blames himself, and Mark Hamill talks in the uh, article with uh, Anthony Bresnahan about that guilt, and that's part of what is driving Luke. But what was he? If he, if it wasn't, he didn't just go into exile and like I'm just going to go into sort of the the Jedi Witness Protection Program. Uh, he, he actually went searching for some sort of truth. And what is that truth? He, in his mind, and we've heard Mark talk about this. We hear the clip in the, in the sizzle reel or in the trailer, this one thing I know, the Jedi must end. So Luke experiences this act of betrayal, blames himself Goes looking for answers. Did he, you know, like all of us, is he actually um, uh, predetermining what he wants that answer to be? Or is he, le- you know, legitimately, uh, l- you know, looking for it? But anyway, he walks away with the fact that the Jedi must end. So this is um, perhaps a way for him to absolve his guilt um, or, or, or to martyr himself, to take him out of play Ooh. in the universe. Yes. Um, so it, 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 I think we're dealing with a very, uh, I hate to say, but self-absorbed uh, Luke here—a a, a Luke that's feeling sorry for
0: himself. Wow! And draw the parallels between Luke and his father, because well, Anakin Skywalker had to abandon his identity and his his entire life, his mm. his existence essentially. Yes. And became Darth Vader. So essentially, he put himself in exile. Yes. And he was riddled with guilt. And, you know, he couldn't save his mother. He couldn't save his wife. Everything that. Couldn't save the galaxy. Everything he had worked for crumbled at his feet. Mm -hmm. And he was left standing there. How does he exist beyond that? He takes himself out of the equation. And Luke does the same thing, riddled with guilt. Upset with himself, angry with himself for not realizing the, the pitfalls in committing to his nephew as being the chosen one. And look how that turns around and bites him in the tail. We still don't even know that whole story. No. But we can fill in the blanks and realize that Luke, like Anakin, needs to run away from the existence he had spent his
3: lifetime building. And remove himself from the equation. Think about the power of being able to, you know, perhaps play um, clips from The Last Jedi of Rey. We know we're going to have confrontation. Rey trying to pull Luke back into uh, society, back into, you know, the action. And then think about that conversation that Luke has with uh, Vader on Endor. It's the name of your true self you've only forgotten. You know, then my father is truly dead. Is Ray going to look at Luke Skywalker and say, then Luke Skywalker really was a myth? Because,
0: yes, she has so many predetermined uh, 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 ideas about who Luke is and what he's all about. I mean, he's I thought he was a myth. She says a myth. So what what is a myth is a a folk hero. Right. uh, Someone that Paul Bunyan stories about. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) uh, you know, wow. These revelations are huge right now. And quite honestly, Jason, I feel very comfortable dipping my toe into these waters, even though we are so many months out from the release of the film. I don't feel like I'm being spoiled by this information.
3: No, I don't either. I think that it's a, um, it's a, it's a nice balance that, that Anthony is is creating here, um, where it's, a, it's enough to give you a little bit of a primer, and 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 in some ways, uh, not that our appetite needs needs wedded, but I think that that's really what it's doing is it's getting us thinking again about these um you know the subtext of some of this and 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 what what it means for these characters and and all of that but i but I love this idea of of Luke becoming sort of a uh, a, a shadow of his father and retreating not retreating into uh, a a dark you know armor <laughs> but but retreating into a cave and taking himself out the other you know probably more obvious um comparison is is ben kenobi and 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 did yes. luke failed in the same way that ben kenobi or Obi-Wan uh, failed. Uh, but
0: Ben had a purpose and I'm sure we're going to find Luke's purpose too because he's not just hiding out in some random place. He went out specifically seeking knowledge via the first Jedi Temple. No,
3: I'm talking about the mistakes that Obi-Wan made with Anakin, like the mistakes that perchance right. Luke made with right with, with with Ben Solo. Right. But I don't think that Obi-Wan
0: Kenobi's motivation for placing himself in isolated, uh, in isolation, in exile on a remote planet, with you know lacking all of the uh, the, the things he had, I, I don't think he did it out of guilt. I don't think he did it because he was angry with himself. I don't think he put himself into exile because he couldn't live with himself anymore. He did it for a purpose. He did it for because he was optimistic. Mm. He believed the future was in who he assumed the chosen one was in Luke Skywalker. He had abandoned the idea that Anakin Skywalker could possibly be the chosen one. I mean... He left him for dead on Mustafar, and then the guy came up from out of the ashes and became this incredible tyrant, this horrible enforcer for an evil empire. So he believes there's no possible way Anakin Skywalker can ever be redeemed. He's not the chosen one. The The prophecy was misread, as Yoda said, and it's obvious. The chosen one has to be his son, Luke. So Obi Wan places himself in the desert to keep an eye out over, you know, looking out for Luke, in the hopes that eventually he can re-enter the Galactic uh, Colosseum and yeah. and and bring the chosen one to the the the, the conflict and. He will save the galaxy. Yeah, bring him back on the stage. That's his mission. galactic stage. Obi-Wan Kenobi is on a mission. Luke Skywalker, perhaps he is on a mission too, but his mission is more that of enlightenment. He wants to seek out the first Jedi Temple because he realizes that the prophecy of the Chosen One has dicked over a couple of generations now. Uh And obviously, no one understands what it means, so let's go to the source. We've all gotten burned by this stupid prophecy. Let's figure it all out and go back to ground zero. We're going to the first Jedi temple with Luke Skywalker because he is on a quest for knowledge. It's more than him just removing himself from the life he had built up in the achievements that he is all the notches on his belt. He has taken himself out because he's on a quest for knowledge. Anakin Skywalker removed himself from the galaxy because he just couldn't live with himself anymore. It was, it was hatred, self hatred. Mm. He was a failure in his own eyes. And it was so much pressure on him as the so-called chosen one that he just couldn't live up to it. So he had to erase his identity. Luke hasn't gone that far, but Luke has removed himself from the galactic
3: conflict to seek out something that might provide answers. Yeah, I mean, he's gone to such great lengths that he even destroyed, you know, or uh, went to great lengths to hide the only map that would would lead to his... Uh, location. Sure, no. he hit it, but there was a contingency plan. Yes, yes, which tells us that maybe there was doubt there. Um, Luke did. Yeah, they're you're absolutely right. Go ahead. There was a contingency plan.
0: Yeah, I mean, just in case the heat got too hot in the kitchen, they would know where to find him. Courtesy of R two. R two, who is mysteriously working on low power. And uh, maybe it was when BB-8 pulled that cloth off of him and started banging into him. It's like, hey, wake up, wake up! Sure, R2 didn't respond immediately. Not until Ray Ray was brought to the Resistance. And I don't know if there's a connection there between Ray return Ray being brought to the Resistance base and R2 powering up. Do you think there's a connection? Do you think be- the dominoes are falling in a certain way? Because Ray was brought to the resistance base on Dakar,
3: that's what made R2 power up. Or is there something else? I think that Ray is um, Ray being there is, is, has got to be it. Um, because what other variable is there that's changed? I mean, the, the, we not, nothing that we know of. No, I mean, just going based on what we know, I, I think we'd have to assume that that Ray had something to do with it. Now, you know how that how that you know works on the back end who knows Um, we could
0: speculate for hours let's burn through some more of this stuff from Entertainment Weekly because we still
3: have a ton of incredible reveals to go through we've got so much so let's let's talk about uh, another beloved character from uh, the sequel trilogy uh, Finn so what's going on with Finn well Finn seems to be in a place where uh, you know at first he was the uh, reluctant bad guy uh, the reluctant stormtrooper, with a, the stormtrooper with a conscience, they call him, and he ends up joining the resistance. Now we see um, he's still reluctant. He's not. Uh, he hasn't jumped into the resistance with both feet. Quite the right. opposite. He's looking for an out. Um, perhaps. Uh, to escape with Ray, um, we have indications from these um, articles that he still maybe has a thing for Ray or wants to uh, escape with her. Yes, um, but he gets put on this mission with with Rose, and Rose is sort of the um, you know in a world of of big heroes, Rose is sort of the wallflower. Rose is the the character that you y- you wouldn't notice, right? And so she gets sent on this mission with Finn. And she's looking up to him. He's a hero. He's a legend. He's he's the one that helped bring about and had a, had something to do with this, um, you know, force powerful uh, girl coming out of nowhere and defeating uh, Kylo Ren, and uh, helping lead the resistance in this huge uh, 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 conflict with um, the First Order and the destruction of Starkiller Base. And he's having trouble living up to that in the same way that we see on Act Luke not able to live up to Ray's expectations. Uh, what is what is what does he say? Uh, Boyega says that Finn is wounded. Um, he uh, uh, he's been critically wounded by a lightsaber attack that still burns and never quite healed. Uh, it it got really real for him. He just wants to get away, not be involved. Uh, his intention, in the first place, was to go to the outer rim. He is always he was always brought back, but this is his chance to get away. Perhaps find Ray and go off together. He's trying to do that at first, but as I say, he and uh, uh, Rose get uh, sent on a mission to Canto Bite, where they're going to meet uh, Benicio del Toro's uh, devious character. Um, so I do think that it's interesting to to see. Some connection between finn and and Luke Skywalker, as they both you know Luke the old veteran hero and Finn sort of the emerging um, hero um,
0: finn is is very reluctant and he is never ever in my opinion if if we watch the force awakens finn doesn 't necessarily pledge his allegiance to their cause, his motivation is busting into that place to save Ray. Yeah. That is his prime it's about motivation. Mm-hmm. It's all about Ray. And and it's only because Han Solo was thinking on the fly, well, we have these explosives, let's go pop that oscillator and allow those X Wing fighters the ability to fly into that sucker and blow
3: it up. But you're yeah. you're right about that was Han's motivation. That, that was, was Han's motivation. motivation not Finn's, Finn's motivation. Finn
0: yeah. went he went along with it all because he wanted to save Ray and no one has ever given a crap about Ray her whole life. And you see that when she is reunited with Finn and Chewie says it was Finn's idea to come back and save you. She hugs Finn because she's like, no one gave a crap. about me my whole life, I can't believe you came back for me. So there's this solid connection between them. We see Finn in Maz's castle and he is, pleading with Ray. Come with me. Let's get the hell out of here. We don't need to have a part of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's his motivation. And yeah. he, he fights with Kylo Ren because... He's trying to save his own skin, obviously. He's he, Kylo presents an obstacle they need to get past. Kylo just killed Han Solo. So Finn has a motivation to, to fight with him when they come across him. But I, his main motivation is to protect Rey from beginning to middle to end. Yep. I don't know if he loves her, but there is a strong, strong connection with Finn and Ray, And so I think he's a little obsessed with her. Mm-hmm. And he wants to remove himself from the galactic conflict. He pleads. He, 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 he has no allegiance to either side. He really doesn't. No, he just wants out. And we're going to hear a lot about this in the, when we get introdu- reintroduced to his character when he, he emerges from his rehabilitation and he he's back in, in the fold and uh, he's going to express regret about being there with the resistance. He wants to get out of there. He wants to go to like uh, he wants to go to Cabo. That's where Finn, uh, that's where he wants to go. He wants to get the hell out of there. He wants to go lay on the beach on Cabo. The galactic conflict means nothing to him anymore. It's caused so much damage to his life. It's hurt his personality. It's, It's hurt his integrity with, you know, growing up as part of the First Order. He's lost his free will. He's rediscovering all of this stuff. And so he wants to get the hell out of there. But as we know in Star Wars, it's not that easy to walk away
3: it never is it never is even if you're a writer in star wars it's never that e- easy to walk away from the past and as uh, anthony Bresikin points out you know basically hey if you're if you're reading this you're starting to see some parallels between the last jedi and the empire strikes back you know he breaks it down things that we've talked about where you have you know ray off on a remote location with the jedi master the resistance is in a tough spot uh intercutting intercutting those stories uh, along with uh, Finn and Rose, they're they're off to uh, a glamorous location. Not Cloud City, but uh, Canto Bight on the world of Cantonica.
0: Cantonica! I'm not going to get the guitar again. But hey, can I share a rumor about Rose that I heard months ago? Don't spread f- rumors. No, I'm no, going to. I mean, Immediately following... Uh-huh star wars celebration i heard something very interesting about her character from a source i consider to be reliable but i'm not gonna go out there and say this is confirmed or anything because as we know stories change we're in the post-production process right now and a lot of things can change with simple adr i I just want to say that i heard every rose has a thorn and i heard this
3: is a guns and roses song what's
0: who did that song? Every Rose has a thorn. That was, that was Guns N' Roses. That was not Guns N' Roses. Every Rose. That's some hair band from the same era. <laughs> Every Rose has a thorn. That's—that's who that's, Who is that? Who, who did that song? It's coming up on the old Google for me. Yes, of course.
3: It's Poison. Poison. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry.
0: Not man. Guns N' Roses.
3: Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, October Rain or whatever the heck it was called. Right, November stop. rain. Uh, November
0: rain. Okay, don't even don't even go into <laughs> that area. <laughs> <laughs> Save yourself, man. But like every rose has a thorn. Right. And a rumor I heard, and uh this could be true, maybe not. I, I don't want to even consider this a spoiler, but somebody told me that Rose is a double agent and she <gasps> secretly serves the first order. That's
3: something, oh, I mean, really. Yes. Wow. Wow. Well, I we know she has a sister. I hope a, I'm not
0: spoiling. Who's her. a
3: she's hot a, shot uh, gunner? Uh, yes. pilot. Uh,
0: Page. 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 Right. Right. Yeah, we're gonna get an action figure for Page. And uh, she, oh, by she's the way,
3: with uh, she, she's hanging around Poe Dameron, I believe.
0: There were a bunch of leaks about Force Friday recently too. Where oh, we yeah! Heard a lot about the action figures that are going to be released. We're finally going to get that Jedi Master Luke. Yep. That we've been wanting from the end of the Force Awakens. Yeah,
3: only two years. They're
0: going to consider him a, a, a character from the Last Jedi because, uh, uh, you know, everyone knows that the Last Jedi picks up right from when the Force Awakens ended. Mm. So we're going to find out what Luke says when he holds. Out, she holds out that saber. Maybe he does laugh. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that'd be that'd be a very like Gandalf thing to do, wouldn't it? You know, like a hearty laugh, a hearty laugh. Yeah, yes. it would With almost some be, stout uh, brew. Uh, but uh, you know.
0: Um, I don't, yeah I don't think it fits the character, yeah. and wow. I, I know that Ryan Johnson is taking cues from what J.J. Abrams did in the
3: Force Awakens. So yeah, but gonna... but is he but is he taking cues from what uh, George Lucas and Lawrence Kasdan and Irvin Kershner did in the Empire Strikes Back? That's that's the question. Is this going to be as uh, Force Awakens was a beat for beat revisitation? Um, of of uh, the Empire Strikes Back. You know, it was Ryan Johnson that was saying not long ago on Twitter, "No, no, but this is not this is not going to be a, a, a retread of of Empire Strikes Back." Now he says, I, "I he says I just tried to kind of ignore that aspect of it and have the story take the shape that it needed to." Um, but by its very nature, there are some natural or some structural parallels, but where there's Maybe. new new characters and new situations, new characters.
0: And let's talk about Rose again. Maybe Rose fills the role of Orlando Calrissian wow. from Empire Strikes Back. Someone we can trust, but she's going to
3: stab you in the back.
0: But you then, mean it's okay.
3: not it's not Benicio's character? It could be Rose?
0: It could be Rose. And maybe Rose stabs our, our, our heroes in the back and then c- comes back around and saves their skins at the end and completely yeah. pledges allegiance to their cause. Maybe. Guys, maybe. I'm not saying... Please don't consider this to be spoilers or anything like that. Yeah. But uh, uh, every rose has a thorn. Well,
3: you know, despite all of the the, the great information that we're learning from uh, the, the, these Entertainment Weekly stories, um, probably the most mysterious character still has got to be Benicio Del Toro's DJ. DJ. Uh, we know very little, even with this uh, um, little character profile... In Entertainment Weekly, you know, we know very little more than he's an enigmatic figure whose tattered, threadbare clothes and lackadaisical attitude conceal a sharp mind and the expert skills. One thing that has been confirmed is that he is the slicer, he is the hacker that they need. And um, it wasn't that long ago, Jim, we were looking at some casting rumors. And there was a, a younger actor that was cast, and we were so sure that, oh, I bet he's the, he's the slicer. He's the hacker character. Um, but no, it turns out that Del Toro's character, DJ, is indeed the hacker, the slicer. Uh, and that is something that uh, we haven't seen, um, according to this article. Uh, things was something we haven't seen in Star Wars. But I, I I push back. I think R2-D2 is the original hacker. <laughs> Absolutely. He's the slicer.
0: Absolutely. But, I mean, what does it mean? So he they need him to hack into the First Order uh, computer bank or,
3: or something. And, and what are they going to get in return? Well, I don't know why they would need him. You can just kind of talk a little uh, mean to Phasma and she'll tell you whatever you need to know. <laughs>
0: Just put a blaster in
3: her chin, and right. she's she's going to spill like a
0: pitcher of Kool-Aid on a hot yeah. summer day. <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, they need him. They need him. Yeah. Just like with Lando. They needed someone. They, they needed for refuge. They needed Lando. Right. Uh, it, it, they need Benicio for his skill. Are, are we led to... Uh, Mm-hmm. To believe that they need old DJ for for a, a, a s- significant skill that only he possesses, right? So they send um, Rose and Finn out to find him on the planet uh, K- Katonica in the city of
3: can which is which is Vegas. Well, you know to, it, it is. R- Vegas. Ryan has called it Vegas for right. You know, it, it is a.
0: a driven by their casinos um the actual look of uh the area is very mediterranean you know mm, mm-hmm. and 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 kyle newman calls it jedi terranean and I, <laughs> I was like well, well played newman well played yeah um and, and we'll get kyle to get his take on a lot of this stuff here in the next few weeks oh yeah um but uh, because I, I know he has a lot to say about this stuff. But uh, right now we're doing Dog Days of Star Wars Summer with me and Swank holding down the uh, place. I, I think Pete Nadel might be joining us next week. I'm actually. hoping so.
3: I'm hoping that would be. That
0: yeah, would that be, would that, be fantastic. That'd
3: be great. There is a, there is a little bit uh, about Snoke. Uh, there is a story about the Praetorian guards. Now, um, interestingly enough, a Praetorian is uh, is a real world historical term
0: which we talked uh, about last week
3: right the the from the Roman emperors yes um, so that that is uh, something we haven't really seen too much I think in, in in Star Wars where I mean certainly things can be derivative they can sort of uh, you know Darth Vader Dark Father but but to actually take a a, a word like that out of uh, you know human history and put it into Star Wars uh, is an interesting choice Um, One of the things that Ryan Johnson says specifically about Snoke is, he says, uh, unlike, you know, the prequels where you kind of learned everything you needed, you ever wanted to know about about Palpatine, because that was the, you know, that was the mission of those stories was to tell his uh, narrative. But he says here, like in Return of the Jedi, you'll only know about Snoke what you need to know. Mm -hmm. We'll learn exactly as much. About Snoke as we need to to tell the story so that tells me that if you're looking for you know the history of Snoke the origin of Snoke the kind of in-depth thing perhaps even just beyond the fact that he's just this evil guy maybe there's not much there other than he's just the guy pulling the strings like we found out in Return of the Jedi that that you know the Emperor is just the guy uh, pulling the strings on on Vader. Um,
0: but we knew who the emperor was and, you know, his position within the, uh, the hierarchy of the empire. He was the guy in charge. He's the guy who's the ruler of the galaxy. He's the guy who used shifty means to attain his goals. And he's the guy who is a Sith Lord.
3: Well, it was the prologue of uh, the Star Wars novel, right? It was. Yeah, it absolutely about, was. About,
0: going yeah. all the way back to 1976 before the film was even released and the prequels were a hardly half-baked notion in the back yeah. of George's head. But yet it still provided the outline and the motivations for the character in the prequel series in the prequel uh, trilogy. So, what we need to know about Snoke is, is, is quite significant, considering we know nothing about the guy at this point.
3: Yeah. So anything's going to be something.
0: He obviously is the commander in chief of the last order or the new order of the new order. Mm-hmm. But other than that, first order. Or the first order. Right, we we keep doing that. New orders, a band yeah, from the uh, from the '80s
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: that doesn't really even deserve a mention on this show. Uh, <laughs> considering Swank listens to show tunes and I listen to classic rock. I mean, come on.
3: Clearly, I don't listen to hair music, hair bands, uh, Poison, so. and Guns and Roses. Um, Ryan Johnson did confirm, however, that. Uh, uh, Snoke is completely motion-captured. It is Andy Serkis' performance underneath it all. Um, it is not puppetry. It's um, it, it's not uh, anything practical there on the set behind a, beyond a maquette. There it's was a rumor fun. about a year ago that Snoke was going to be
0: a seven-foot-tall practical effect puppet yes. being used mm. on the set. And maybe that does come into play here and there as far as, like, Lighting is concerned and stuff. So some of the leaks may have noticed a, uh, some sort of Snoke puppet on set. But like I said, it could have been just a reference thing for the model makers and the visual effects wizards at ILM. And we've been seeing this practice being used all the way back to nineteen, uh, the late 90s with the Phantom Menace. George had full size battle droids on the set. Mm-hmm. But Steven Spielberg n- broke one. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You can watch the uh documentary the beginning on the uh Episode 1 DVD and see that great moment. <laughs> it's probably on YouTube. <laughs> but uh yeah, he bust off the arm like, on
1: oh, that. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but uh,
0: <laughs> But uh but that that model you never saw that model in the final film. It was strictly there for lighting reference for the ILM wizards to use as a, a reference for their m- magic work to, to to build upon that. So that that's probably where the whole Snoke puppet rumor came from about a year ago.
3: Yeah, very well could be. There th- there is also a, a a piece here about um, this being the last film uh, that Carrie Fisher uh, will be playing Princess Leia. Um, but there are a, a, a few uh, passages here that uh, I think really do a nice job of kind of bringing you back up to speed as to what is the situation between the Resistance, between the First Order. Um, and, and and while it's easy, I think, at the end of the film uh, to be sort of in a, in a triumphant mode, they've destroyed Starkiller base, there's celebration going on, Ray finds Luke. Um, but the way it's kind of summed up is that, um, you know, what, what what Ryan Johnson says is, you know, that, that, that this is not uh, a time for necessary celebration. He says, you know, they're a small band. The resistance is a small band that's now cut off on its own. The Republic is the, the Republic is shattered. It's destroyed. It's gone. The centralized government of the galaxy is gone. Yes. The, the, the new order, the new order, the first order is on the move. And despite Starkiller Base being destroyed, you've got a small group of resistance fighters that are now isolated and very, very vulnerable. And that's where we pick it up.
0: I think, like with the original trilogy, we're going to see the resistance build like the rebellion build. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we got introduced to the rebellion, it was uh, episode four, Yavin Base, 30 ships, You know, it wasn't really a big deal. Then when we see the rebellion in Return of the Jedi, they have a full fleet. The Monkels are on board and the Celestians and all of this stuff. So it it becomes a bigger, a bigger campaign. And I, I think we might be seeing that with the resistance at this point. There is no government anymore. So the resistance is basically the rebellion and -hmm. the new order is basically the empire. And I wouldn't be surprised that by the end of the last Jedi, we're not using terms like the new order or resistance. And it goes back to empire and rebellion. I wouldn't be surprised Mm -hmm. by that Um, because in reality, that's what these, the, the these, these segments of society are going to become. They, they wiped out the new Republican, the, the new rep- <laughs> Republican. <laughs> no, no. St- RFR is Freudian pol- slip. we're, uh, we're apolitical, but uh, the, the, um, they wiped out the new Republic in the last Jedi. And they did so by, by, Completely taking out that whole system, not just one planet, five, yeah. Yeah. but you have to imagine there are splinters of the new Republic still in existence throughout the galaxy. Just like at the end of return of the Jedi, they blow up the death star. That doesn't wipe out the whole empire. We know that there's still pockets of resistance all over the place. That would have to be true for the New Republic. So maybe during the course of The Last Jedi, we'll see the resistance grow with the addition of these other pockets of New Republic uh, reinforcements that may exist throughout the galaxy. Maybe it'll start coming together by the end of this film or the beginning of Episode Nine. Again, seeing similarities with the original trilogy, that whole ring theory comes into play again, where you get the echoes repeating themselves. It could
3: happen that way. It 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 could. You know, the movie so far has been sort of divided up. You've got Luke and Ray on uh, you know, on one side of things. You've got Finn and Rose and uh, DJ uh, on Canto Bite. But what about? What about General Leia? What about Poe Dameron? Well, apparently they're together. And um, something that's brought out in this article is that that their relationship is more than just General and Warrior, referring to Leia and Poe. And I whoa, what, what, what are they saying here? Um, but it, that they're family. And, of course, we know that Star Wars has a long history with uh you know, the the notion of family, it's very essential to Star Wars. Um, but the idea here is that, you know, perhaps Poe is, um, according to Oscar Isaac, is in some ways a surrogate son for Leia. And I know that we have some tie-in material that suggests that that is the case, that there's a a, a history between Leia and... Poe's uh, parents. Mm-hmm. In fact, I believe Poe was was Poe conceived on Endor or born on Endor. I can't. I remember. I think he which. was conceived on Endor. Perhaps and con- grew up on Yavin. Ah, okay. So, so there you go. We know that uh, he was perhaps uh, conceived at the celebration, the Ewok celebration there on Endor.
0: We have a clip of uh, Bresnikin talking about. The relationship between Leia and Poe in The Last Jedi on his uh, Sirius XM show behind the scenes with Anthony Bresnik in. That's cut two. Oscar Isaac said that she and Poe form a kind of like surrogate mother son relationship
2: Mm. that Poe is. He's there. He's, he's on the right side. He's a good kid. a good guy. I mean, he's in his 30s. But like, yeah. he's a, to her, it's like having her son back in a way. Mm-hmm. And I, I assumed like, oh, cool. He's just like this badass pilot. She's going to utilize his skills and they're going to have like a professional friendship. And, and uh, this actually goes a lot deeper than that. There's an uh, emotional connection. She sees in him more than just the cool X-Wing pilot the ace fighter who can win all these dogfights in outer space. Mm. She sees a future leader of the resistance. Mm. Oh, just like she is. So she is grooming him. So just as Ray is trying to get Luke to be the hero, Luke's trying to get Ray to be the hero. (laughs) Rose is trying to draw the heroism and, 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 and brace uh, Finn's courage so that he can continue the fight. Uh, Leia sees in Poe Dameron, like more than just a fighter a Mm. leader.
3: One of the things we know uh, is that there's a there's a scene where Leia slaps Poe. She, she, she he talked about this about how many takes and how many slaps um, that she had to do, and uh, so this relationship is 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 not just you know uh, rainbows and unicorns. It's right. it's it's tough love that you have to do for someone who you are you know mentoring. Um, And if she does see him as sort of a a, a surrogate son. um, And you see, you get some of the attitude, the real world attitude of Carrie Fisher in there,
0: too. Oh, sure. Because you know that Carrie certainly has slapped her share amount of faces over the years. So (laughs) you'll probably see a... a very well schooled and experienced slap, heading in Oscar Isaac's direction in the Last Jedi, and I think uh, I think fandom will uh, embrace that as much
3: as Carrie did herself on the set when she had to do take after take of it. Yeah, yeah. There, then, and of course, the obvious question is: you know, what impact has Carrie's passing, uh, very untimely passing? What impact has it had on on Episode Eight? And uh, Ryan Johnson said, you know, there's no way we could have known that this would have been the last Star Wars movie she would be in. So it's not like we made the film thinking that we were bringing closure to the character. This is about watching the film. There's going to be a very emotional reaction Mm. to what she does in this movie. Wow. So, you know. Cut to the ship blowing up. I, you know, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Do I, it, 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 right. I mean, if that was not a thought that was being given at the time of filming it, what are you going to do? And what are you going to do if you know that you're not going to digitally recreate uh, Carrie or uh, recast Carrie or um,
0: maybe she goes into exile and joins the monks or I'm sorry, the nuns on uh, Act <laughs> Two. And so we just don't see her it's like remember when um when mrs. garrett actress Charlotte Ross departed from the classic charlotte 80s, ray eighties charlotte, charlotte ray, ray yeah charlotte Ray departed from the classic eighties sitcom Facts of Life, and so they made up a story like she was away or something, like uh, taking care of a sick relative or anything. And, that's and right, yeah, that's right. Yeah, So maybe they'll do something like that. Or, or I mean, there's so many sitcoms we can look back at it, where, where the main character uh, moved off uh,
3: for whatever reason. Oh, do you remember Valerie became Hogan family and they killed her off?
0: Oh my goodness, I, I do remember that, and I, I also remember when... Um, When Ron Howard left Happy Days, uh, he and uh, Ralph Malf, actor Donnie Most, but they still were part of the fabric of the show like every once in a while mrs c would say i just heard from richie he's in, you know we like he got drafted or something right right so yes. it was impossible to bring him back because he was serving his country but yet the actor uh, d- declined a contract to, to return on the show i i i well, and he, I wanted, he wanna... wanted to go to film school and be a big shot movie director that's why <laughs> and get hired to uh, work on a Star Wars film oh, That's
3: right, that's uh, right. But,
0: uh, but you know I mean It's happened so many times on uh, television But uh, I think that you have to Be very careful with How you want to Because Princess Leia one of the, you know great characters of, of of film history and of course she, the character means the world to us as star wars fans so it can't be something so simple and stupid is that she's just removed herself from the things that are happening Right, well, you know me. Especially yeah. someone who is so like hands on, you she has dealt with so much. She's dealt with so she's much. She's not lost. going to exile.
3: They're killing she, the character off. They've got to be
0: killing her. They have to. They have to because she's lost so much. She lost her, her whole life on Alderaan when, th- when that planet blew up. She lost her son. She lost her husband. She's, I mean, just, and she keeps on ticking. Leia just keeps on ticking. And so it has to be something big. That removes her from the galactic conflict. It has to be significant. And how do you do that without Carrie
3: Fisher? Now, I love the idea of her going into some sort of hibernation, so to speak, because, you know, me, I'm a big fan of the idea of eventually recasting the role and letting her uh, character live on to fight another day. Well, if
0: Star Wars, me. If Star Wars truly is going to go on forever then it will need to withstand the loss of certain actors playing certain roles. I mean, when you think of forever, yeah. think of forever. Then we'll see Luke Skywalker being recast. We'll see Carrie, Princess Leia being recast. We've already seen Han Solo being recast. Sure. It's not going to remain as precious as we are treating it right now, especially as we are currently still within this this period of mourning the loss of Carrie Fisher. Right. So it's so much more precious to us the way her character gets treated as these films progress.
3: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we've... Um kind of come to the end of our our wrap up there on the, the Entertainment Weekly Stories. It doesn't do it justice. you got to pick it up. It's on newsstands because you've got to see the photos. The photos are incredible. It will completely transport you into the world of uh, The Last Jedi and that galaxy far, far away. Um, so huge, huge uh, congratulations to Anthony Bresnikin on a job well done once again, bringing us sort of that that front row seat Uh, Behind the scenes of uh, the making of another Star Wars movie, and I'm sure before we we, leave, before we leave the topic,
0: Uh um, I do want to hear from
3: Anthony one more time. Let's do it uh,
0: from his uh, Sirius XM show on Channel 105 Entertainment Weekly Radio, and uh, this is behind the scenes with Anthony Bresnikin and his his show that was dedicated to the Last Jedi that dropped this week he talks about something very interesting, something we've talked about a lot on this show. And it's, uh, whether or not we'll actually see Hayden Christensen return as Anakin Skywalker in the film. And as we have jumped to the conclusion, he will reappear as a force ghost, possibly with Yoda at his side there to console Luke on, uh, what direction, uh, to take, uh, Usage of the force and move forward with, with uh, continuing the Jedi ways in the galaxy. So, are we actually going to see that, Anthony? Address the issue on Sirius XM earlier this week.
2: The question is, will Will uh, Hayden Christensen return to? <laughs> but that was a harder name to say than I, Hayden Christensen will return to the Star Wars galaxy. Uh, I haven't gotten any indication of that, and that rumor has been around for a long time. Every time there's a Star Wars movie, there's a there was a theory that in The Force Awakens, he would turn up as a Force ghost. There was a theory that he would be playing Darth Vader in Rogue One. And they I remember folks at Lucasfilm telling me, like, they were, that's just not, there's no need to have him as Darth Vader. And they have, like, several people playing Darth Vader. So I don't think he's going to be back. And I would be surprised, really, to see him as a as a Force ghost in this. Uh, I don't know how much of that Force ghost thing they're going to keep pushing I just feel like maybe the cinematic language has changed a little bit where you appear as this sort of literal ghost <laughs> in a swamp. Uh, maybe, maybe they'll go there, but they seem to be moving more toward the visions. You know, you touch a lightsaber and you have this sort of uh, montage of images that hit you. And maybe he would turn up in something like that, but I have not heard that he would. And I think the, prequels while there are definitely people who really love them and grew up on them and and uh, and have very affectionate feelings for them they are divisive too among the fandom and uh, I don't know that they are rushing to embrace that you know there are definitely things from the prequels that they are threading through I've heard maybe we'll see some starships that are from the prequel era as a as a nod to that but I, I don't think Hayden Christensen going to be back
3: there you go might may not be back. I think that for me, one of the best things that this saga could do is tie in elements of 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 both and really tie a nice bow around the entire story as it is currently, and paying uh, respects to to both trilogies, prequel trilogy and the original trilogy. Um, not not just you know for fan service sake, but to Really, really create that sense that this is one big story, one big universe, and that it's not you know this era versus that era. The one thing I would say that I would sort of disagree with 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 Anthony, um, you know, he sees the Force Ghost as a as a device, as a as a as a visual uh, storytelling a convention of the right. time that is he now almost he dated. treats it like it's some sort of like tired cinematic device. Exactly. And I, I don't think that's the case. Yeah, I don't know um that. I think that that it's in fact I would venture to say that it's, not Star Wars did not invent the idea of the ghost. But in the in that particular role that it that it plays, um, I think that is something that is sort of uniquely Star Wars. Whenever you see it sort of Parodied, it's always parodied as a as a Star Wars reference. You know the blue glowy thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even going um, back to old Saturday Night Live episodes hosted by Carrie Fisher in 1978, when you had Dan Aykroyd appearing as a Force Ghost during her monologue. Gary, oh my gosh, scary! The
2: Bantha goes over to Jabba the Hutt's bar and he gets an idea. He says to Jabba, "My deflector shields are malfunctioning. Can you put me up for the night?" Then Jabba says, "Well, there's a Jedi Knight convention in town, but I guess you could stay in my Nebulon stabilizer with my daughter." <laughs> I, I don't know, you know, I, I think this might be a little too inside, you know? No, I... Gary,
1: trust your instincts.
2: You know Obie, I, I don't know, we like the joke, but some of the references are a little obscure for this galaxy. I mean, this is a New York audience. they're really sophisticated and everything, Trust but I your feelings, Carrie. <laughs> Let yourself go. It's I'll... a funny joke. Okay, you're the force.
3: So I free enough for that. Wow. Um, All right. Just one more story here. Um, This uh, made some waves that Disney is going to be pulling its movies from Netflix and launch its own streaming service. Many people were very excited over the last several weeks to find that Rogue One is now showing up in streaming for Netflix customers. Um, And, of course, we've really enjoyed watching The Clone Wars for several years on Netflix.
0: Uh, The convenience factor alone is outrageous. And Netflix bravely uh, accepted the final season of The Clone Wars and released Mm. it via their platform.
3: So we have much to be grateful for, as Star Wars fans, for these, uh, you know, in particular Netflix. Good point. I think that... um uh, Netflix did more I think for the Clone Wars series than Cartoon Network ever did and um, Disney
0: XD quite honestly because remember they shifted to Disney XD for the 5th season right. and then and then completely dropped it for the 6th season only to be picked up by Netflix along with the entire catalog And then people started watching it and realizing the things that we've been talking about for years, that the Clone Wars was such an achievement in television animation and Star Wars storytelling, too. Plus, it was helmed by George Lucas himself and Dave Filoni. So it was just like a victory lap. Netflix was for the Clone Wars.
3: For sure. And here you go. You got Disney saying that this is something that they want to sort of own. They want to have, um, you know, they have this on their own terms. Um, you know, Bob Iger pointed out, he said, you know, the media landscape is, conc- is increasingly defined by direct relationships between content creators and consumers. And that's what they're looking to do. Take out the middleman, uh, of course, when you're Disney, you can just you know buy a company like BAM Tech, which is gives you all the infrastructure to create these streaming networks. Um, you know, the one thing that it does do as a consumer, and I do love having choice, granted, and it's the ultimate sort of democratization of, of media. But you take that a step further and you see this follow-up story from uh, TechCrunch where they're saying that, uh, when pressed further, that Bob Iger has not ruled out the idea of having separate services for the Marvel and Lucasfilm products. Interesting. Maybe we could be inching closer and closer
0: to that Star Wars slash Lucasfilm TV
3: channel. We've dreamt about forever. Yes. Yeah, he says we're mindful of the volume of product that would go into those services. We want to be careful about that when talking about, you know, what do you do with Marvel and what do you do with Star Wars? Um so uh, you know, we, we we might be looking at three. We might be looking at something that is Disney, that's going to be your Disney and Pixar um you know, uh legacy and new animated material um but then, for some of these other properties like Lucasfilm, like Marvel, they would have their own. So we're not just mm-hmm. dealing with you know the, the the you know as we've talked about before. We're not talking about just the the eight well, let's say nine, ten, whatever it's going to be here in the next year or so. Films, Star Wars films. You're also talking about the whole Lucasfilm catalog. You're talking about the animated series. Um, you're talking about you know the, the Ewok movies. You're talking about Uh, The Indiana Jones films and anything related to those characters, uh, hours and hours and hours of documentaries. I mean, the list goes on and on of what could be on um, such an app. The thing that I wanted to raise is that, and I think a lot of people that I talk to are realizing that the subscriptions to these services are starting to add up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Me about you know all of a sudden you realize you got you 're paying hey five bucks for pandora i 'll do it i don 't want to listen to those ads got five bucks for Pandora you got fourteen bucks for netflix you got another eight bucks for um, hulu um, you 're doing your amazon prime membership you 're also uh, subscribing to you maybe some uh, you know an end the NBC and the CBS all access because you want to see the new Star Trek show and plus you 're paying fifty sixty dollars a month for your internet connection at least. Then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, my God, this is like having a cable bill again.
0: Yeah, yeah. Cutting the cable seems like the most financially prudent thing to do now with all these new options, but I think that sooner or later it will all add up and you'll be like, hmm, maybe I should go back to cable
3: again. I, well, <laughs> let's not forget the cable companies are now the gateway to the Internet. So, of I mean, course, yep. they still hold the pipes. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, um, uh, but yeah. if you got to, you know, if the kids want to watch DuckTales and you got to subscribe and pay eight bucks a month for the Disney, uh, you know, the Disney app, and then you, you want to watch Star Wars, so you're going to pay another eight bucks for the uh, Star Wars app, and then you want to watch the Marvel movies and those, you know, animated shows and all of that then you're gonna pay eight bucks for that now all of a sudden you're paying 25 30 bucks to disney just to get all their products right Uh, you know all their now the one thing that's very i think um uh, interesting about this revelation is that clearly this would pave the way for original programming Mm. that you would launch this built around the premiere of a new animated series, perhaps a new live action series or multiple series. And, you know, obviously these, these subscriptions would help, you know, pay for the production of something, you know, this, this type of thing. Um, So Netflix, you know, what, what is Netflix going to do? What's the future of Netflix and Hulu? If these content creators start to uh, pull out and come to us directly. So, you know, let you take somebody like a, like a Seth MacFarlane, right? Is, is he going to say, well, you know what? If you want to watch Family Guy and you want to watch American Dad, you want to watch uh, whatever, you got to have the Seth MacFarlane app. Wow. You know, so I mean, it's how, how, become, how
0: granular does it become? It'll become so segmented. But then how do you get turned on to new stuff? If you have to pay for everything individually,
3: discoverability becomes very difficult, doesn't it? It sure does. Yeah, it
0: sure does. So uh, the more things will change, I think the more they'll stay the same.
3: Yeah, the pendulum could eventually swing the other way. I mean, one of the ways is, you know, you think about, you know, I'm I'm loving uh, on Amazon Prime. I'm loving uh, Man in the High Castle, for example. Um, I that was a referral. Somebody said, "Hey, have you checked that out?" No, I haven't seen that yet. You know, so there are ways, you know, through your sort of your your peer networks, through social media, that you can get those recommendations. But you are right when when everything is there's walls in between everything. Um, it does sort yeah. of uh, make the the world. Feel, yeah. Very and when,
0: when you're dealing with things like word of mouth and stuff, that's very grassroots. And I don't think corporate America really digs on that so much. I mean, they do. They they listen. They understand the value of social media. My God. I mean, these giant corporations just kowtow to, to reactions on Twitter. I mean, they fold like like paper airplanes. But it's a weird growth in technology we're going through right now. It's a very interesting time, and so there, there there's the ways you can go that aggregate all the entertainment you want in one place, or you can be very. You can make it customizable and just get the things you want. But that becomes such a burden after a while when you have all these different uh, methods of obtaining your entertainment that you have to nurture and pay bills on and all this stuff. would not you just rather throw down a simple monthly payment to uh, your cable provider or satellite provider and just be done with it? I mean, there could be that whole shift. We could be in just like this entertainment vortex right now where we're all getting Flush down the toilet at once. Let's just calm down and see where this all plays out and how Star Wars fits into it all. Because if somebody's <laughs> gonna offer me a Star Wars only uh station, then uh I, I might lean more toward customizing my entertainment's uh accessibility as opposed to getting it all at once from certain providers. Oh wow! What a crazy time we're in. You know what? I think um, I think we need to to bring it back to Star Wars and hear what Andy Circus has to say about all the Snoke theories being thrown out there. Andy, we, we talked earlier about some uh, Snoke theories. Could Snoke be Rey's father? Who knows? Andy Circus, the actor who portrays Snoke, has probably heard it all. So I want to know. Courtesy of Entertainment Tonight. What his least favorite Snoke theory is? Uh, that he is um, that he is Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a really sucky theory. He's embarrassing. <laughs> Brings back all the Darth Binks theories we've been hearing.
3: Oh. that's going to wrap things up this week. Uh, as a reminder, go out. If you're uh, curious, get that issue of entertainment weekly with Ray or Luke on the cover and uh, check out the photos and read the stories for yourselves. And most of all, shoot us an email. Let us know what you think. What are your theories after reading all of this show at RebelforceRadio.com. That's the email address. Voicemail line, seven Oh eight three, two 1737 do want to thank our good friends and our sponsor this week, Tops and the Star Wars Card Trader app. Some cool things going on there, including, as we've mentioned before, action figure vintage action figure card backs available. Very cool stuff. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Rebel Force Radio, at Jimmy Mac Radio, at Jason Swank the Facebook page. With breaking news, links to stories, and great conversation, as always, there at facebook.com slash radio, The official website for all things and everything RFR is at rebelforceradio.com. And uh, iTunes remains probably the most complete repository of podcasts available anywhere on the Internet. You can download, you can subscribe, and you can review our shows and so much more. Just one rule on those reviews, please. Make them good. And you can also find us streaming at WGNPlus.com, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and just about anywhere else you can find podcasts. We are an official friend of Wikipedia. Visit wikipedia.com for the ultimate online Star Wars encyclopedia. You can also find us weekly at JediNews.co.uk, Yoda'sNews.com, and the official Star Wars website. Of course, StarWars.com. That's going to do it for us. We'll see you next time. For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jason. And I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember...
0: The
1: Force will be with you
0: always. Tonica Tonica <laughs>